Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby. AlphaList is a closed community with over 400 CTOs who share their knowledge and experience in a Slack space and at events. With this podcast, we want to give our members and interested parties insights into the thoughts and ideas of top CTOs. If you're interested in becoming a member of the community, please visit alphalist.com to find out more on how to apply. This episode is kindly sponsored by Okta Customer Identity Management. If you're transforming into a digital platform and are facing identity management challenges, listen closely now, because Okta offers the market-leading solution to help you make identity and access management work as a service. A platform that offers endless ways to connect with your employees and customers. Get support for your most important customer-facing initiatives. Integrate identity and access into every app and create secure and engaging experiences in no time by outsourcing workforce or customer identity management to Okta. Get started in 15 minutes and test IAM or CM as a service. Create frictionless registrations and login experiences for your applications and make identity the foundation for your zero-trust strategy and enable access for all users regardless of their location, device or network. Visit alphalist.com slash Okta to try it out. In an upcoming episode, I talk to Zagnik Nandy, Okta CTO, about everything identity management. Welcome to the AlphaList podcast. I am your host, Toby, and today with me is Andreas, and Andreas is the CTO of Scalable Capital, and Scalable Capital is a company from Munich that collected $250 million in funding. They are a neo-broker and a robo-advisor, so um, that's like quite a new market, uh, as uh, like neo-broker already suggests, and um, he has like quite a lot experience in, in building apps also from his past and in app security. And that's why I wanted to talk about uh, the topic of um, yeah, app security in the regulated financial market and what you what you have to do. Uh, so welcome, Andreas. Um, anything to add there? Thanks, Toby. And thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast today. Yeah, about uh, app security. In fact, I already uh, quite a while ago uh, had a talk at the, at the very popular Berlin iOS developer conference, uh, UIConf, about app security. And uh, app security, and, and what I say in, in that talk is also, is also very relevant. App security and securing apps and the whole awareness about security, your front-ends, your back-ends, your processes is essential, not just in the financial market, but in any app, in any offering, in fact. But of course, the, in the financial market, in the financial services, Uh, business as uh, scalable capital is uh, is in that business. It's particularly uh, relevant as we are also regulated and we are audited uh, quite uh, regularly by various uh, authorities in Germany and in the United Kingdom and um, by independent uh, auditors. And uh, we are also being pen tested every year. So this is a very significant focus of ours. And uh, yeah, and it should be. Yeah, um, I can also. I, I also had various touch points with that topic. Just like um, out of curiosity, uh, I once tried a tool called Charles Proxy, which is kind of a nice UI proxy for uh, macOS, uh, which you can easily install and even um, yeah, dig in the middle of SSL uh, encrypted connections if 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 you did it wrong, and that's kind of a nice experience to. Just use it with with apps you just want to use or just regular use on your on your mobile phone and just understand how insecure it is. Uh, it's yeah. it's really interesting. But before we we dive into that, we deep dive into that topic. Um, can you tell us a bit more about uh, like your career as 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 a nerd or geek? So what is what is your nerd journey or nerd path? Well, I I. 
started, uh, I started my career as a nerd, I would say very early and with a very young age, um, playing around with, uh, with a basic computer of my father's who did a, yeah, uh, um, adult education, a uh, continuous education program back then. And it very early in, in my, in my days kind of, yeah, draw a path towards technology, engineering, the sciences. And, uh, yeah, eventually after my A grades, uh, I, I started to study computer science at the universe, at the Technical University in Graz. Very, let's say, very hardware near. So it was very, um, electrical engineering, computer science combined. Uh, I moved into digital signal processing processing i programmed fpgas uh, um and and was very hardware near then also moved into the topic of embedded systems which i uh, which i then focused on at eth where i did my at eth zurich where i did my phd in multi-core resource sharing systems so aka um, embedded systems with multi-core chips, which was a new thing back then, together with Airbus and and uh, and Bosch, and uh, yeah. Um, from there, I I moved into the to the topic of mobile applications. It was basically the next uh, the next thing from embedded systems. What's the closest thing to embedded systems? It's the the new the new thing that came up back then the smartphone and uh, I found that very interesting and very intriguing from the beginnings having this very powerful computer in your pocket even though many people yeah back then uh, didn't see a bright future for that kind of device and, and kind of the Nokia communicator wasn't that successful right and then this new device that didn't even have a keyboard from this company uh, uh, called Apple, <laughs> um, uh, and and but for me this was very interesting. For me this was very intriguing, and I jumped into that and uh, jumped into mobile development, and it was very very interesting for me. And and my background in electrical engineering, in hardware near programming, was also very useful in dealing with limited system resources and. Uh, and working um, in, in, in this very integrated system, right? So, yeah, and the rest is basically then history, right? Then I moved into um, app development uh, uh, and, in, and in financial services. I worked for Avalok at, in, in Zurich. Uh, I continued then. I joined this small startup that uh, um, in the travel industry called Get Your Guide, not so small anymore these days, right? And uh, and uh, built a mobile app there, and then moved to Scalable Capital in 2015. And since then, I'm I'm on quite a ride with Scalable Capital. And now you're building a broker. Or what does Scalable Capital do exactly? I mean, which yeah. which parts of the value chain do you own, and where does the technical complexity come from? Yeah. So Scalable Capital started in 2015 as a digital wealth management company. And this is also very well known as RoboAdvice. And we started in, in Germany and in the UK with offering uh, ETF portfolios, risk-managed ETF portfolios uh, for our clients, starting from a minimum investment amount of 10,000 euros or uh, 10,000 pounds in the UK. And uh, by applying our risk management algorithms, observe the market, observe the client's portfolios, and then according to the risk appetite of our clients, automatically rebalance those portfolios in order to satisfy our, satisfy our clients' uh, risk settings uh, with which they signed up. We then quickly moved also into the B2B market where we built uh, wealth management solutions for other institutional um Institutional companies, so other banks. Uh, we had an we have an integration with ING here in Germany, uh, but we also have uh, other businesses around Europe and in Germany here: Oscar.de, Targo Bank, Barclays in the UK, 
uh, Open Bank, Santander Daughter in Spain, Raiffeisen Bank in Austria. So quite large players in their respective markets, which built uh, for which for whom we built uh, digital wealth management solutions. We then also got the feedback from our clients that they want to do more with us, that they want to basically, yeah, be able to 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 also put money into into fixed term accounts, but also be able to trade directly and make their own decisions, which is not possible in 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 the wealth management piece, right? And this basically brought us to the conviction that we also need to build a broker. And that's a very different um, a very different business, a very different application in terms of yeah architecture and 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 requirements from a, from an engineer's point of view. It, it, it sounds management way bar- more complex, right? It sounds way, way more, more complex. complex. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's not only more complex. Uh, so uh, there's there's the complexity part, and there's also the scalability part, right? So if you look at the digital wealth management offering. Um, you you have the algorithm, you have the interaction with the bank and the market data. The complexity is there, but in the user interface, it's not that complex, right? The user interface is more or less static. It updates once a day and uh, people can't make any decisions. So they more or less can watch uh, their performance, can watch the portfolio, maybe can make a few changes on, on certain settings, but that's really it. A broker is completely different. A, bro- a broker is very real-time, so market data being pushed through the user interf- interface in real-time, streamed to the user interface, the app or the web application, and clients being very interactive, buying, selling, canceling, updating limits and stuff like that, searching uh, asset universe, uh, universe with tens of thousands of instruments. And all those requests not coming from a... Um, let's say small audience, but from a really big audience um, in in the in in from a from a uh, from a retail perspective, right? So there are m- much more clients, much more users on a broker than there are on a wealth management offering. So so scalability wise, much more complex technology wise, and and. Uh, real-time requirements uh, wise much more complex so to, to, to sum it up you were bored <laughs> not exactly bored but uh, we heard we heard the requirements we heard the request we heard the need and uh, we saw ourselves in a good position to actually serve that need right we we had a technology stack that already allowed us to build um, systems not only for us but also for uh, white label partners, so from a, a, compo- a, a component structure and from a setup of asynchronous microservices that communicate with each other, we've been in a, in a, in a good situation. And many elements of a broker are very similar to the wealth management piece. You need you need some bookkeeping, you need some performance computation, you need charts, you need uh, uh, um, asset data, all those things we already had. Of course, on top of that, we had to build quite quite another uh, set of, of services to also integrate with the stock exchange, uh, um, being able to directly execute through trades that come uh, that originate from our clients, not from our algorithms. Um, but the technology is itself uh, on in the cloud, Amazon Web Services, microservices that communicate with each other using message queues in an asynchronous manner. Um, we're already very well prepared for that step and we're in fact able to handle those requirements um, that that the broker, yeah, that the broker actually has, right? And and um just to understand it correctly, is that are you like what what happens if I hit buy on like let's say an Amazon stock? What what happens? So I yeah. guess your app sends a signal to your backend, and what does your backend then do? I mean, how how does it end up in a physical ownership of of this stock? Yeah. 
so there are, there are quite a few things that happen here, right? So there is a you hit you hit the you hit the buy button, um, and then a certain number of checks actually happen. Do you actually have the funds to buy that stock? Um, uh, and then and then and then there is a compliance step that, that checks this in a second layer and then this uh, this um, order of yours is translated in a certain message format that we can actually transmit to the bank then this is transmitted to the bank then there's a feedback um, from the bank actually um, of from the market maker about the execution of the trade, whether it's executed, not executed, partially executed, for which price has it been executed, and all that information we gather then again, um, and uh, we we put it in your personal portfolio. We book it according to the information we get from the market maker, and uh, then visualize it in the context of your portfolio as a position, but also in the context of your overall position. Um, we have to adjust your your so-called buying power. So, what what are the remaining funds basically that that are open uh, uh, that are available to you to to execute other buy orders, and uh, and then yeah, and then the trade is done, right? And then mm-hmm. there's a doc there's a there's a document coming for the trade that's also being put in in the according place in your system. We have to check whether you have any alarms, any price alarms for uh, for the trade, because in our system you can also set up alarms. You can say, "Hey, notify me when yeah the Amazon stock that you mentioned hits a certain level or drops below a certain level, um, and all those things." Right? Okay, uh, understood. And <clears throat> and the bank you're working with um, does that bank actually store the money in a way or have has responsibility for the for the money at the end or do you have responsibility i'm on if i sent you like 10k euros uh that i want to buy buy stocks with is it stored somewhere is the number 10k for tobias is it then stored somewhere in your database or is it stored at the bank so you have to differentiate what about the database and 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 who is in the responsibility and the liability for that money, right? So when you open an account with us, we uh, open an account for you in your name at our partner bank um, here in in in, in Munich, Sparta Bank, um, and we open a cash account for you, and we open a deposit, uh, a, a depot, uh, a securities account for you, and the money that you transfer to us. Physically, if you want, uh, is with Bada Bank, right? And this mm. is a bank with a banking license, and uh, you have a thing called Einlagensicherung uh, mm. and and all the all the protection that as a as a client in Germany that you actually have, right? Um, when you then execute uh, a trade, um, we execute that uh, trade uh, uh, from that account with Bada because you actually gave us a power of attorney uh, to do these things mm-hmm. for you, right? So you, you then, essentially built the interface yeah. for, for it, like a better interface for Sparta Bank. I mean, don't mean it badly, uh, but yeah. uh, like if no, it's someone... Not a better, it's not a better interface because uh, and this, is a, this is an offering uh, that the bank itself uh, doesn't, doesn't have, have right? Yeah. It's, um, it's really, we facilitate the banking infrastructure in order to build a completely new offering, Mm-hmm. And uh, um, put that together for you, also also in a pricing uh, perspective, right? You pay us for that service, and not uh, not the bank, right? And uh, we uh, uh, we pay the bank for their services to us, for their custody services to us, right? And uh, and uh, once you buy that stock, coming back to your trade, right? Once you buy that stock, that stock is being paid with the money that you have at this cash account at the partner bank, and uh, mm-hmm. we do um, make sure that you have enough funds to actually buy that stock and. The bank, in fact, does that again. So there's a double layer of security here, right? Mm-hmm. And um, once the stock, uh, once the trade is executed successfully, it is in your personal um, securities account in your depot at um, at at the partner bank again, 
right? And again, we get the data from the bank um, directly after the trade, but also in a daily reconciliation. So basically in a daily synchronization process with the bank. And, um, uh, and that's what you then can see in our interface, right? One piece of Amazon stock for mm -hmm. that and that price and the current mm -hmm. price is like that and that's your performance, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Understood. Yeah. And um, as we wanted to talk about um, uh, app security, I, I, I want to come to my central question, which is what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> I mean, yeah. What what can go wrong in in terms what, of app security? Whatever can what are... go wrong will go wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> Murphy's law. <laughs> um, no, there's. I mean, there are a lot of layers in in those systems, and and systems are becoming more and more complex, and more and more interactive systems are, are working with each other to actually build a an attractive offering for our clients, and. Every interface in that chain, um, the app, the API, the backend, an identification layer, authorization layer, uh, the connectivity to, uh, to a market data service, the connect connectivity to the market maker or the bank. I mean, all those are interfaces that have to communicate with each other, that have to ID each other. Um, that have to make sure that only the necessary amount of information flows through those interfaces that have to be up to date and that are exposed on the internet and are subject to vulnerabilities and to scans and to, uh, and to attacks. And, uh, you know, the first step is basically get an overview uh, and, and have really an inventory of all those interfaces, of all those vectors that you can have, right? And, um, and then in every, in every interface, in every item on that inventory list, yeah, you need to go through possible attack vectors, in-house, external, um, clients, uh, all, all those things that, that, that can possibly uh, be, yeah, um, be exploited, right? And, and just looking at, at the app and the security between app and API, um, yeah. what is what is what are the, the 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 typical things to look at there? Yeah, this is um, this is so called the endpoint, right? And the endpoint is always the the most difficult part because this is the part where you have no control whatsoever, right? It's the device uh, owned by the user. Uh, you install an app there. You don't exactly know where your app is basically uh, being installed in. Is it a jailbroken device? Is it is it an updated? Uh, is it, is it, is it an up to date version of the operating system? Are vulnerabilities present in that system? Is maybe the user themselves compromised? So, aka the device stolen is used and is the pin code um, known to, to, to an attacker. And uh, so from that point of view, that's the, that's the most difficult endpoint. And it's also important there to do, to do what you can in order to make sure that you have proper identity and uh, that you avoid um, situations where information can leak. And uh, for you mentioned Charles Proxy at some point and... Um, This is kind of uh, the, the, the whole system. Um, the whole system there is how do I protect the communication of that application with my endpoints? Um, and before you, before you are even there, how do I establish identity? Right. And, um, those are the, the two very crucial elements. And, and, and once you have that is, yeah, what, what happens on the device? Do I need to store data? How can I store data? Or should I store data in the first place? And if, yeah, if yes, how do I make sure the data is properly secured? That means encrypted, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, those, those are the particular challenges when you talk about app security or, or also securing or hardening apps, right? And, and how, so, how how do you yeah. make sure that the yeah how do you how do you actually achieve that I mean practical um, how do you make sure that uh, identity is valid 
And and how do you protect your endpoints or the communication between API and and, and server? So ident identity is uh, is uh, is something where we. Um, There are well-established uh, uh, methods with uh, how you actually uh, do the whole identity. And we are also looking into a lot of options here. Right now, it's, it's username, password, but it's not, uh, you, you can only, uh, it's not stored on the device. Uh, uh, and if, and, but if you want to store it, it's kind of stored in the secure element of a device, right? And not in, in the user preferences, so to say. Um, If you then, uh, when you then communicate with your endpoint, use methods like SSL pinning. So for example, in our app, we use SSL pinning. This avoids um, attacks like uh, like man in the middle attacks and really classics in uh, you are at Starbucks and uh, use a Wi-Fi. You look at your uh, and, and yeah, you might be subject uh, to, to man in the middle attacks, right? Um, Then um, in 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 your actual API communication, be frugal with the data, right? What is the data that you actually transmit, and uh, don't add data points that are somewhat part of your object model, maybe, or part of your internal object model, um, but which you actually don't need, right? Um, I think if 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 you look at uh, if you look at other big hacks, there was a, there was a there was a set up once where somebody was able to reset his Apple ID by using information he found on, on, on an Amazon account from somebody else, right? So, and, 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 and that information was somehow available and through the uh, dissemination or the usage of that, of that piece of data, um, he was able to, to attack completely different account right so uh, at uh, with apple and uh, yeah this became then um, public and and was changed accordingly but also for us it's important that we don't have data in uh, data fields in our api that that we actually don't need uh, that are that serve no purpose uh, um, but as it so happens sometimes as as a developer as a backend developer designing an api Yeah, you have your you have your object model, you have your database um, scheme, and um, you design an API for a certain endpoint, and then you add all those fields that you have. Yeah, right? it just Because, exposes yeah, this, it just exposes everything, and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and and there's lots of let's say tools that actually do that for you, and you just keep using that, right? And um, yeah, while those tools are all great. For, for proof of concepts, experimenting, you have to be careful with those yeah. tools. And, and, and this is part of a secure software development uh, uh, process to actually look in every single uh, uh, endpoint and API and be sure I'm not exposing anything that is actually there for convenience at some point and maybe useful in a testing environment, but it's not necessary, right? I would say it's it's very very harmful, um, and uh, I know like a few examples. If you just, I don't know if it's still the case today, or if more and more apps use certificate pinning, which which uh, kind of makes it harder from my perspective. Uh, but but if you just like open Charles and a few apps on your phone, you see how how hard it is, and how many apps are actually exposing or APIs are actually exposing a lot of. Uh, Of, of, of data there yeah and that's I mean that's that's kind of the challenge also when you look at uh, when you look at software development lifecycle but also tools and services that are out there I think what is a major challenge in the industry is good defaults right and good defaults also from a perspective of um, of security and I think there's a huge gap. Um, and there's lots to be done for all of us in that industry. This episode is kindly supported by Fastly, the biggest challenger in the CDN market. Fastly is pushing ahead the technical boundaries and is, from my perspective, the best solution on the market. Fastly is known as one of the key drivers of the Edge Cloud movement. Well-known customers of Fastly are Shopify, The New York Times, Reddit, GitHub, and many, many more. If you want to try it all, With first-class support, 
Just go to fastly.com slash alphalist. And um, does it make sense to like choose any, I don't know, proprietary format um, apart from from a proprietary communication channel instead of instead of going with with HTTP because it's very easy to sniff or doesn't that make sense because people will find out anyway? You know, you have to differentiate between uh, uh, security and obfuscation, right? And I, I think just using some other protocol uh, is more like uh, uh, in, in the realm of obfuscation, right? You try to hide it in something that that is a bit unknown, right? Um, while there is plenty of, of tools and plenty of methodologies to make HTTP, HTTP, HTTPS communication secure, right? And yeah, I mean, HTTPS, of course, and uh, making sure um, you're not you're not subject of a man-in-the-middle attack. Uh, you're actually talking to the endpoint you're supposed to talk about, uh, SSL pinning and other uh, uh, methods here. Um, they provide a very secure environment, right? And, this, uh, and, and it is also a well-established and well-researched environment. And, and many, many eyes are on that environment. I think it's hard to find another protocol that is that well understood. And from that point of view, that also poses a security risk. You obfuscate, but you don't really understand the protocol that you're using. This is a risk, right? Mm, mm, mm. Um, yeah, totally understandable. Um, still, I would argue or I would ask you, is it possible to have an absolutely secure communication between an app and a server where I can't sniff it anymore with yeah. Charles or I can't do anything with the data? Yeah, I mean, not being able to sniff it with Charles is is, is one thing. Um, absolute security, I mean, doesn't exist, right? I mean, there's... A, yeah, there's obviously, but but, <laughs> yeah. but let's say, let's say very like moderate to heavy security uh, because like my my learning was when I when I got a bit into that, that you could also, I don't know, download the, in Android's case, like just download the APK then if you have certificate pinning and then you can essentially disable certificate pinning and, and compile it again or uh, just like change the certificate uh, that you want to have pinned yeah. and uh, just, just change it to your own and stuff like that. Yeah. Is that still possible everywhere? And um Or this is this is why I'm saying is the endpoint is 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 the endpoint or the, yeah the device is is really the hardest part right um, because yeah you can you can do exactly what you described and then you would say oh well then let's lay let's add jailbreak detection to the to the to the equation right well guess what if if you are able to open the APK or uh, to 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 manipulate the execution of an application at runtime, which you are able to do on a jailbroken device, then you can also just skip over the jailbreak detection, right? Uh, and so that doesn't gain you much, right? It's, it's one layer more, of course, and that's, uh, that's um, relevant and that's uh, uh, a viable setup, but it doesn't add up to absolute security. So, I would say, you know, this is a, 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 if you are not in control of the device where this is executing, there is no, there is no absolute security, right? Okay. And you, so you cannot, in, right? Because yeah. you also don't, you, you, you also don't want to, you want millions of clients, right? So how can you ever be in control of those endpoints, right? Okay, so but if if people want to understand your API, could they download uh, the Android application, uh, decompile it, disable certificate pinning, and just see the API? I mean, maybe it's it's also good to do that, right? Yeah. Or maybe it's also good to have that in mind and, yeah. and um, yeah. take that as a philosophy. So yeah. this is possible. Yeah, um, we can't we can't get around it. Yeah. Uh, so let's live with it and let's let's be frugal yeah. with the data, right? Yeah, exactly. So our API is not a secret, right? The API, um, putting the API between a, a, a um, 
yeah, a, a, a wall, uh, yeah, wall is, is a bad expression, but hiding the API is obfuscation. It doesn't change anything on your security setup, right? We are, you are in the public and uh, you need people to be able to onboard, to use the app. Um, so it will be possible to understand what this app is actually doing, what kind of calls is the app sending to which kind of uh, endpoint. This is this is this cannot be avoided, right? What we focus on is making that a secure connection, making that a secure communication in a in 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 a controlled and, and known setup. Hiding the API, I don't think there's a real point to that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, understood. Uh, maybe let's 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 continue. Um, <clears throat> Is um, I th I think it, it is understandable that it doesn't make sense, um, and uh, I'd I'd like to know if if you have some examples, not necessarily of yourself, of of large hacks that um, are maybe not so well known, where it was around exactly that layer um, API uh, communication to 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 app. Uh, is there any 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 hack that is that that uh, you can talk about? I mean. Um... What we see recently, the landscape shifted a bit. Let's say the lens, uh, the, the the hack landscape, right? There have been hacks in the past where information that came from an API has been abused in 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 a context of of other workflows. Um, information that leaked uh, in an API, but not in the user interface, then has been used in a call to let's say customer support or something like that. I mentioned the uh, um, the abuse of some information that was available on Amazon to trick the Apple support uh, uh, into resetting an ID, and and there are things like that out there. But what's uh, what what we see recently more often is this kind of uh, supply chain attack, right? Um, this is this uh, these are the, the the Microsoft Exchange hack, the the SolarWinds hack, the um, The hack that, that just uh, that the most recent one uh, was the Casea hack. This is uh, if you follow the news. This is what cost uh, I don't know half the half the webs uh, half the uh, supermarkets in Sweden to shut down for half a day because their uh, uh, their cashier uh, their point of sale systems didn't work anymore, right? And this is uh, with supply chain attack. This is you use a certain library, third-party application or a certain vendor, and actually that vendor is hacked, right? And uh, before, before that vendor even knows, uh, you, your system is affected, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and it's being shut down or, or it's being encrypted like ransomware attack style. And uh, if you look at the modern software application, um, how many libraries are in there? Right. If you look, if you if you download any uh, um, any random application uh, from GitHub and look at all the dependencies that are in there, right? Um, what is your what is your control over all those all those dependencies, right? How do you check them? How do you make sure uh, there are no vulnerabilities? How do you make sure the vulnerabilities that might come up um, are be uh, are come come to your attention, right? Um, mm. And I think this is a very, this is kind of the the, the new major vector, and, and and we see that in the news, right? We see that in the in the news. Mm. If if you look for it, you see that every second week, right? Something like that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 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 Uh, so how do you protect from ransomware then? First of all, um, have the have the vectors. I mean, there there are the interfaces I mentioned before. Have your um, inventory. Uh, you need to check all the interfaces. How can you access that interface? What's your first layer protection? What's your second layer protection? What's your third layer protection? Um, you have to look at your vendors, uh, your libraries, uh, your third-party integrations and applications that, that you use in the context that might have access or, or might be able to, uh, to have access to your system. Um, that's one thing. That's avoiding it. <laughs> and uh, uh, of course, that's the goal, avoiding it. Um, and then the next level is re uh, remediating it. So what, what if it really happens? So what, what if you're really subject to, to an attack? Um, 
then you need to have a backup strategy, right? Have your data in a safe place, your application data, your, uh, your, your database, whatever data you store in whatever system uh, in a safe place such that you can actually recover and not to kind of the state uh, of last year, but to the state of 15 minutes ago or yesterday or something like that, right? And be able to recover um, in a timely manner. So whatever timely in the context of your of your business means, right? And if you talk yeah. about the Neo Broker, timely means pretty fast, right? And um, and that and that backup also needs to be completely segregated from from the system that might actually be subject to ransomware attack, right? So not being a uh, not not being subject to the same access vector not being subject to the same uh, third-party integrations or or um, possibilities to yeah be encrypted right so store it somewhere away from AWS uh, encrypted uh, without easy access to it um, where you maybe need like multiple factors to actually access it again exactly um, and stuff like that right? and have the and key, I guess and there, have there the key not in the system that that might be compromised right yeah, yeah, right. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. And um, I guess there are multiple services for that, right? Which you can just rent and you can just Google um, if you want or like pre-made setups or is that not a business right now? There, um, uh, there, are, there are backup services, but whenever you talk about a, a backup service, you're also talking about the vendor again, right? Which is again, mm. yeah, again an attack vector, right? So mm -hmm. that's that's really always a decision that you want to make. Um, can you basically fight the, the 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 vendor attack vector by adding a new vendor? Um, mm. Might be the case, uh, and in, in other cases, is uh, is making use of the system that you have in in a smart way to actually achieve what you what you want to achieve. And many of the cloud providers these days actually have strategies around that. I mean, they are not blind. They see what's going on in, in out there, right? And um, they give you, they also give you guidelines on what's the best way to remediate those situations. Or like in crypto, you just store it on a cold wallet, right? You just store it on it on a tape drive in your in your living room. And I guess that's that's your strategy, right? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, we, we turned the video off so I can't see you hiding anything in your <laughs> living room now. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think it would be quite problematic uh, in many aspects aspects if I would store stuff in my private home. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. So, um, like, I think it was very valuable already. Um, maybe we come to to sum up shortly. But what what I wanted to wanted to understand is still how. Big is your the team around security in your company? So we are um, we are in various in various capacities. Um, we have an SRE team, we have a CISO team, we have uh, uh, we are we are uh, uh, we are having a group of senior engineers in the security guild, um, and we are working all together. Uh, uh, in different aspects of the system. We have an IT security officer, information security officer. So it's quite a, an extensive setup there, right? Um, and one, that's one element. The other element is also creating awareness in, in the organization, right? So it doesn't help to basically treat security as a feature. Right? Security need to be on everybody's mind, and in order to be on everybody's mind, you need to constantly remember people and uh, and train people and make them aware of situations that were maybe not so great. Right? Um, mm. We have, for example, a a, a software development lifecycle that also includes code reviews, pull requests, and we have checklists there also that that make uh, that make clear. Uh, when you review a piece of code, what what are the elements also that you um, that you must not forget, and you actually have to check that box and uh, uh, look into uh, also aspects of security in that element. We use tools to help us identify 
possible vulnerabilities, right? Like uh, static code analysis, analysis, for example. Um, and of course, uh, uh, we also have external audits, right? We have we have penetration testers. Uh, we have uh, um, we have reviews um, of of infrastructure of code uh, uh, from external auditors that are also uh, done uh, frequently and. Uh, are also a tool to raise awareness because yeah it's also important to be yeah to get information from the outside from uh, from outside the organization different viewpoints different contexts and um, and also people who are really at the forefront of of the offensive side so to say so mm -hmm. uh, who, mm -hmm. what are the current attack vectors what is what is being discussed in the Uh, let's say hacker community these days, right? Um, to yeah. also give you that perspective, because if you're a software developer in a, in, a, in a product development team, that's not a perspective that you have. That's not something that you're exposed to on a daily basis, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah, obviously. Um, and how often do you do these external pen tests? So pen tests we do we do on a on a, on a yearly basis. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, we also have uh, checks that, that are continuously, permanently part of our CI-CD system, right? So static mm. code analysis, for example, but also tools that our cloud provider is offering uh, in terms of uh, vulnerabilities uh, uh, and, uh, and vulnerabilities of dependencies, vulnerabilities of images, and um, to have those findings constantly basically checked. And, and report it to the corresponding teams, right? Mm. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you just ask externals whenever you you need them in addition, right? Yeah, um, and we yeah we also we also, we also do do uh, so. There's there's a yearly penetration testing, right? Really partly automated, but also with uh, uh, quite a significant manual element of, of trying to break the system. And then there are also mm -hmm. from, uh, from external sources um, frequent uh, uh, scans every month, basically, on, okay. on the system. Also yeah. to make sure there's no, there's no regression, right? Yeah, it sounds really like it's, it's, it's if you know your, like how to do your homework and I, I think it, it maybe is also good timing on your end. Um, I remember like a few years ago, there were like, I, I don't know, that German bank N26 had a huge problem with API security and a few others that was really like publicly exposed. Um, so I, I think it's uh, it sounds as if you ha did your homework and also learned from others. Uh, so that's quite good. Um, if you, like, let's let's say I'm, I'm now Joe, and Joe just started as a CTO of a regulated company and um, is not sure about where to start security-wise. If you could just like say like very quickly, just two to three tips you would give me. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's uh, uh, there's no there's no there's no silver bullet, right? But. Uh, Start with inventory. Start to know your landscape. You're, you're, you're Joe. You just joined the company. What's already there? Is it already live? Is there already something in production? Is it just bootstrapping? Uh, are they just building something up, right? Really do the inventory. Know all the interfaces, all the uh, access vectors, all the... Uh, um, Yeah, tools, all the uh, all the people also working on the system, right? And um, do that inventory, and then through every single inventory, go ahead and 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 also, um, yeah, look for look for the attack vectors. Um, do your uh, do research on every single of those interfaces, and uh, let your team know that you're doing that, right? And that you're that you're really uh, uh, focusing on that piece, right? And then also um, get 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 an external view, right? So don't don't rely on yourself, right? You you're one person as is, as a as a CTO uh, joining a a startup. You probably have a million things to do and uh, building a business, building a company, building a culture, hiring people, um, and that never stops, of course. So get uh, get support uh, and get also external support, right? 
so for iview okay. thanks a lot uh, yeah thanks a lot thanks a lot that absolutely makes sense um now drum roll i come to my closing question um And uh, I have a little surprise for you. Uh, one of your co-founders actually gave me access to a premium feature in Scalable Capital um, that you at a certain time integrated. Um, and it, it's often um, used to, to abuse the financial market. It's called Time Machine and yeah. it, it allows you to travel back in time. And I, I think a few guys already made a few millions with it. <laughs> it's not what we want to use it for today. So uh, we want to travel back in time with that feature to, to 2011. And um, we can just um, meet you there and see you there. You just finished at University in ETH uh, Zurich. And um, yeah, now you have the chance to hit pause and uh, you can you, you have the chance to whisper something into into young Andrea's ears. What what would it be? Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. I mean, um, there are probably many. Uh, <laughs> many many things to be done and to be said right but in the end i think yeah just go on and 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 do what you think is right right so i think um i think uh life turned out quite great for me privately and uh, and in business work for a great company we built a great business uh, um a great engineering team um I live I, I live a happy life with my with my wife and my three kids here in Munich. So um if I look back in 2011, I back then I applied for uh, uh, for example I applied uh, applied with BMW, right? Um I re didn't really make it through that uh, uh, process. Right? I was pretty upset. But you know, looking back, uh, I mean I could I could tell myself what to say. Um, or I could just say, no, go on, you know, I mean, it turned out just great. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds as if you're quite happy and, and confident. And maybe uh, buy so some Amazon happy. stock and then mine some crypto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can still use that feature in the, in the future. So yeah. <laughs> maybe that's also why why you're, you're not telling yourself anything. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do remember uh, that I was, uh, uh, that, that, That I wanted to try to mine some crypto, and uh, but then uh, I didn't really do it. I don't know for which reason, but uh, and and probably in the meantime I would spend it probably for buying pizza and beer. <laughs> but you know, mining a few hundred cryptos back, uh, bitcoins back then, and keeping it all the way uh, until like uh, uh, now would have been quite an interesting move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so thanks a lot, Andreas. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking to you and I hope we soon have the chance again uh, and maybe even meet in person at a certain time. Um, uh, let's 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 hope that uh, the pandemic is, is over soon. Um, and yeah, um, thanks a lot. Absolutely. Bye -bye. Thanks a lot for the invite. It was really a pleasure uh, to talk to you and uh, I hope, uh, yeah, we'll see you again uh, in, in a, in a post-corona Time. <laughs> Thank you. 